This morning, as we continue our series we started a few weeks ago, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles once again to Jude chapter 1. Jude chapter 1 is where we've been focused on for these last several weeks. Um, And I want to focus specifically today on verse 17 to verse 21. Jude chapter 1, verse 17 to verse 21. Verse 17 begins by saying, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves. Everybody say, keep yourselves. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Pray with me this morning. Father in heaven, thank you for the word. Thank you, Father, for this series that we've been on for these last several weeks as we've explored the Apostle Jude's warning to the church, not just in his time, but the church today, about the danger, God, of false teaching. And Lord, the necessity, Father, of being vigilant, being on guard, Father, for the enemy's tactics so that we do not fall prey to his schemes. God, I thank you for equipping us through your word. I thank you for empowering us through your Holy Spirit. And I pray that as I share that which you've laid on my heart this morning, that God, your word will edify our hearts, your word will encourage us, your word will build our faith. Most importantly, God, your word will cause us, Lord, to look to you as the author and perfect of our faith and to press in deeper with you, Lord, so that, God, in you we find that strong defense that we need to overcome the enemy of our souls. God, we thank you today, and we ask that you bless your word to our hearts, and may we be not just hearers alone, but doers of your word. To the glory of your holy name, for it's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Amen. Amen. So I want to share with you an experience I had many years ago. Um, I was the age of 26, I I recall, when I I was privileged to be able to become a homeowner. Um, It had always been my dream before I got married that I was going to buy a home. And I remember um, one of the nights, you know, in in that little house, um, I remember uh, coming home and, of course, you know, throughout the day, the the news um, was dominated by headlines about uh, an impending thunderstorm that was going to be coming that night, and I didn't really think anything of it. Of course, I was excited that I was going to be under, you know, at least sheltered, you know, in some kind of shelter from the storm. But I remember that evening, I, I had come back from work, I, I sat on the couch, I took a nap, and eventually what was supposed to be a 15-minute power nap turned into like a two or three-hour power sleep and so when when I woke up I woke up with the lights out the lights had been the, we had lost power in our in our neighborhood and it was dark this is not even it's this is maybe 7 6 37 it was dark outside and when I woke up it, 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 it there was just this eerie feeling right and so I thought okay well it's about to rain and you know when I was growing up I always liked going outside in the rain of course you know our parents would always tell us go don't go out into the rain right um, you know, so of course what I would do typically whenever it rains, I would go sit in the balcony where I would at least stay dry and I would just sit there and I just enjoyed the rain as it was falling. And I remember walking outside at my front door and like I said, it was dark. I mean, just, it was, it was a weird kind of darkness. And I'm seeing, you know, the shadows of, of lightning as it's flashing in the background and, and the wind is howling and it just, it just really just sounded very scary. It didn't sound pleasant at all. It wasn't something I wanted to sit outside and just enjoy. 
And so I remember thinking, well, let me just kind of stay under the, the, the porch and just kind of just observe, just kind of see how bad this is going to get. And at some point, lightning started to flash and it started to get more intense and the thunder started to just come in waves. And I started to get scared because at that point, it started to literally feel like the ground was shaking. It felt like even my house was starting to shake. And I remember thinking, well, at this point, I can't get in my car and drive somewhere else. Um, and it certainly, you know, I can't, you know, the, I, I have to stay in the house. But, but even beyond just staying in the house, I need to find somewhere in the house that would be at least secure in the event, unlikely event, hopefully, that my house would somehow cave because of the wind. And so I remember going into the bathroom and I sat there. Uh, I had the, my flashlight from my phone. I used that to kind of provide some light in the bathroom as I sat there. And I just sat there for the next about an hour or so as the wind was howling and literally my house felt like it was shaking. And as I was sitting there thinking about that, I remember many times in previous years, whenever, like for example, there'd be a hurricane or a major storm coming, and the weather guys would always say to you, and there was this adage that became popular in weather, you know, weather jingle, when the thunder roars, you go indoors. All right. When you hear thunder roaring, you go indoors. In fact, you know, one of the things that I, I, I discovered with my kids is usually they'll tell us that whenever there's any kind of thunder outside, they don't let them go out for recess. Now, of course, they don't like it. I mean, they figure, well, it's just rain. What's it going to do to us? I mean, we should still go outside to play. But there's this idea that when there's thunder, it's, it, it, it portends that something worse could be potentially um, on, on the offing or, or coming. And so um, you know, when you hear that phrase, when the thunder roars, you go indoors, uh, it's, it's a warning that you need to take heed. It's not a warning that you take lightly or you take for granted because, again, those who have given this warning know what's coming beyond just the thunder that you hear. And so I, I, I was, as I was preparing today's message, I was reminded of that experience that I had and the value of having a place that I could go to and be able to shelter in place and be confident that no matter what was going on outside, that in that location I was safe, I was secure, that there was nothing that could happen to me. And as I was preparing today's message, um, I was thinking about what the Apostle Jude had been writing or been studying the last several weeks. And I would encourage you in your spare time, go and read Jude. It's just one chapter, but it is a power-packed chapter. Because Jude speaks to a lot of issues that not only were happening in his time, but are happening today. And if you and I are to be able to withstand the enemy's schemes against us, the enemy's attempts to cause us to stray, to fall, to compromise, then it is important for us to be aware of the warnings that God gives us as to the conditions that create a ripe environment for us to fall and to know what God's word provides by way of advice for how to avoid that. In the scripture we just read, Jude recalls several things, again, that I want to point to that were indicative of his culture, but I believe are also, this, also present in ours. One of the things that Jude recalls is the fact that in his time, in the last days, he, he says, objective uh, objective truth's historical role as a reliable guide would, would one day become disregarded or even rendered intolerant, uh, rendered uh, without influence. So when you, when you think about what's happening in the world today, um, you, you discover that, that you know, this idea of truth being an objective standard for how we are to live has, has, has been turned upside down. Now people have this idea that truth is what you define truth to be and, and that what you define as truth doesn't have to be what somebody else defines as truth and, and, that, and that nobody can impose quote-unquote their truth on somebody else. Here's the problem. Truth is not subjective. Truth is not based on your opinion and your preference or mine. There is only one standard bearer of truth. If there are multiple versions of truth, then none of them is truth. <laughs> there can only be one truth. 
And so what we see happening, you know, that Jude observed, but we also see happening in our time is that Jude's historical objectivity as a reliable guide for how we are to live has been disregarded. Um, now now it, is, it, is, it is culture that, that, that is dictating what is right and what is wrong. It is popular opinion that is dictating what is right and what is wrong. In the last days, Jude recalls also that those who stand for objective truth will be ridiculed. That those who, who stand for, for what is right, those who, who promote um, one standard of truth, uh, of objective truth that we're all to live by, will be ridiculed as intolerant, as, as, as old school, or as, as, as bigoted. And, and the reality is, is, again, truth is not what we define truth to be. Truth is what God defines it to be. But here's the thing. In the last days, the Bible warns us that those who stand for God's truth will be ridiculed. Don't, don't, don't hope it doesn't happen if you are committed to living for God, recognize that ridicule will come. And the, the presence of ridicule does not invalidate the truth. But we must, be, we, we must expect that ridicule will come because we stand for what is truth. But not only that, Jude recalls that, that we're going to find ourselves in a time and day where people will remove the guilt and shame associated with sin so that they can have free reign to live in sin. And we're living in those times today. Where not only has objective truth been, 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 been uh, discounted, but now what's happening is the guilt and shame associated with, with decisions and choices has been removed so that people feel free to do whatever they want. And then of course, he tells us that ultimately the enemy's aim, his goal, is to create division even within the church. So that he can separate those who are committed to Christ from those who are compromised on their faith. And in all of this, Jude, in verse 21, says to you and I that the way that we confront, that we combat this, this climate, this kind of environment, is by keeping ourselves in the love of God. That's what he's focusing on in verse 21. He says we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. And so, as I was reading, as I was preparing today's message, the image of... Christ as this shelter that you and I can run to and we can be confident that we are safe in is part of the reason why I was reminded of that experience I had when that storm came through and I found, in my, I found my home to be that place of shelter and refuge from the storm that was around me. A life that is rooted in God's love, friends, a, right that, a life rooted in God's love will find in Christ a reliable defense against sin. A life that is rooted in God's love will find in Christ a reliable defense against sin. And so in these very next few minutes, I just want to quickly share with you how we are to be rooted in God's love. There's three ways that I believe that you and I can be rooted in God's love as a way to protect ourselves, as a way to protect our loved ones, as a way to protect those who are, who are part of the body of Christ, mutually protect one another and encourage one another to stay grounded in Christ, to stay rooted in His love, so that when the enemy comes at us or we're surrounded by the storms of life or the storms of opposition to the way of Christ, that we're able to stand. And the first one we, we discover is this, that those who are rooted in God's love are those who commit to the journey of learning, knowing, trusting, and obeying God's word. The Bible makes it clear to us that the word of God is a foundation for how we are to live. Without the word of God, friends, we cannot know the heart of God. We cannot know the will of God. We cannot walk in the way of God. And then the scripture I love to reference over and over is in Psalm 119, verse 9 to, where, 9 to verse 11, where the psalmist writes, and he begins by asking this question, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? The goal here is purity. And he's, a, he's, he's suggesting that there is a way to experience or to discover purity 
or to practice purity. So the question is how? He says the way we stay on the path of purity is by living according to your word. Of course, he's referring to God's word. He's not saying that I'm living according to what culture says. I'm living according to what I think is right. He's saying I'm living according to your word. And in verse 10, he goes on to say, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin. Everybody say sin. The psalmist says that I hide your word in my heart because your word is the compass that keeps me from straying from your will so that I walk in sin. So those who are, who, who, who are looking for a, a secure defense against the, the spirit or, or the, uh, or, or, of ungodliness or the age of ungodliness that we find ourselves in are those who are committed to this journey of learning, knowing, trusting, obeying God's word. And notice I said journey. Because it is a lifelong process. When you gave your heart to Christ, you didn't immediately know everything that there is to know about what it means to be a child of God or what it means to follow Christ. The goal was that in that decision, you began this journey of walking with the Lord, of learning more about Him, learning more about how He sees you and what He wants for you, and, and knowing how to experience that in your life every single day. But it involves a commitment on our part that we're going to learn God's Word, that we're going to know God's Word. No means that we understand God's Word, that we're going to trust God's Word. In other words, we learn, we make ourselves available to the Word, we grow in our, we, 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 we are taught the Word, but then we trust the Word. We trust that when God says this that it is it is true we trust that that when God says it, it it is necessary for our lives it is beneficial to our lives and so because we trust the integrity of the word then we obey the word the Bible says that we're not meant to just be hearers alone God wants us to be doers so the reality is, is if we are to be if we are to find a strong defense against again this age of, of ungodliness we must be rooted in God's love and that by committing ourselves to this journey of knowing, learning, trusting, obeying God's word. But not only that, we need to follow the Holy Spirit's guidance and prayerful pursuit of God's will for our lives. I love how Jude puts it in verse 20. He says that as we build ourselves up in our most holy faith, we are to pray in the Holy Spirit. That phrase seems very... It doesn't seem like there's, there's, there's any substance in that statement, praying the Holy Spirit. But, but notice that he's not just simply talking about an act as much as he's talking about an experience where you and I are making ourselves available to the Holy Spirit and allowing him to be in charge of this process of seeking God's word for our lives. Um, I love how Romans 8 verse 26 and verse 27 puts it because what he does, Paul does, is he explains to us the, the, the vital nature of the Holy Spirit's involvement in our ability to not only seek God's will, but to discover God's will. Listen to what he says in verse 26. In the same way, Paul says, the Holy Spirit helps you and I in our weakness. And this area of weakness he points to specifically is this. He says, we do not know what we ought to pray for. How many times have you... You know, you've had an opportunity to pray, to seek the Lord, and, and you're not sure exactly how to even articulate yourself to God. You know, you, know you, you think you know what you're supposed to say or what you're supposed to ask for, but when it's time to open your mouth, you, you find yourself struggling, you're stumbling over words. And, and the reality is that, that many times we, 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 we come to the Lord seeking His, His will for our life, but we don't even know how to ask. Because we don't even know what, what, what God's will may, may represent in the situation that we're in. Sometimes we're, we're, we're faced with multiple good choices, but we don't know what is God's will for us in that moment. 
Paul says that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness of not being able to know what we're supposed to be asking for, but by doing what? By himself interceding for us through wordless groans. And this is why he says, because he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because it is the Spirit who intercedes for God's people in accordance. Everybody say accordance. That word accordance is in reference to the fact that the Holy Spirit, when he makes intercession on our behalf, he makes that his intercession is in alignment with. Alignment is so important when it comes to how God operates and our ability to operate in God's will. God doesn't, God doesn't acquiesce to what we want. When we pray to him, we're not saying, God, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to do it. But we're saying, God, this is the situation that I'm confronted with. This is the need I have. God, let your will be done. What do you want to do? God, lead me as, as, I, as I respond to this situation. Lead me in the choices that you want me to make. It is about praying in alignment with the will of God for our lives. And so what, what Jude is suggesting here is that when we engage in this experience of praying in the Holy Spirit, that what's happening is we're saying, God, bring me to a place where I am dependent on the Holy Spirit for guidance and for direction in knowing how to ask you for your will. And realize that when we do so, the Holy Spirit is ready to help us to discover the will of God. He doesn't play games. He doesn't want us to have to, have to jump through all kinds of hoops. He will lead us as we make intercession to the Lord, seeking for His will in our lives. And oh, how much we need to know the heart and mind and will of God in the times that we are in, friends. Because again, what the enemy is doing is he is cloaking, um, he is cloaking, you know, the, 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 the consequences of sin, he, he's, he, he's wrapped them in, 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 this, in this wrapping paper of, 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 of righteousness. And, and we, we look in the surface, we think, oh, this looks good, this sounds good, this feels good. But what we don't realize is that beneath the surface are lies. Beneath the surface is emptiness, is deception. We need the Holy Spirit's guidance. We need the Holy Spirit's direction in, in discerning what is truly God and what is not God. And it's not enough for us to just rely on what we see on the surface. The Holy Spirit needs to, needs to help us to discern. So when we pray, when we seek God's face, when we seek His direction, the Holy Spirit has to be involved in that process of doing so. And here's the last point that Jude points to. He says that if we are to be rooted in God's love, that we must eagerly await the mercy that Christ's promised return brings to all who trust Him. Listen to what he says in, verse, in the last part of verse 21. He says, uh, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait. But then notice what he's saying. He says, you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. One thing that was, that, was, that, was, that was important to the believers of that time and should be very important to us today is the reality that Christ is coming back. We must never lose sight of the fact that Christ is coming back. Yeah, some people can say, well, you know, 2,000 years ago they were expecting Christ to come back. He never showed up, you know, in their lifetime and they all died and went to heaven. Why do we think He's going to show up in our lifetime? Here's the reality, friends. It is not ours to determine whether God is going to show up in my lifetime or not, or, and, and based on that to decide how we're going. No, we are, to, we are to live with expectation that He can come back today. Every single week that goes by, I, am, I know that I'm not guaranteed that I'm going to see another Sunday. Because Christ could call us back home. Now, it's something to look forward to. Not that if I'm saying we should, we should desire death. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that we are to live with this mentality that, that this is not our home. We are passing through. Christ promised that he will come back for us. And so every day we must live with that sense of expectation. God, could this be the day? 
And knowing that today could be the day that, that at any moment that, that the scripture says the trumpet can sound or that Christ can call us home, that, that we are living with this conviction, God, I'm not only wanting to be ready for your return, but I want to live in light of your imminent return. Jude says, as you're dealing with all of the stuff that's happening around the, in your life and in your environment, as the enemy is exerting pressure to try to cause you to turn from the Lord, live for him with eager anticipation that one day, when he returns, he's going to that, that his return is going to bring mercy, the mercy he has promised those who trust him. You know, whenever I, you know, I remember a while back, my mom would always say to me that whenever, whenever she hears that a saint has gone to be, to, to be with the Lord, that for her it's a reminder of God's mercy. Because God has called that person home. When God calls us home, he's calling us to a better place. He's calling us to a better state, a better condition. It is an act of mercy. When God calls us home, and, and, and we are to live with, with anticipation for when that day comes. Again, not that we are just, you know, we start to think morbid thoughts. That's not the idea. It's this idea that as we live out each day, as, we, as we're allowing God to, to, to express Himself through us in our obedience to Him, that we, we are living with our eyes upward, looking forward to when He will return for us. I want you to hear what Colossians 3, verse 2 and 4 says. Paul says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. He's saying, focus on the things that are eternally minded. Don't just focus on the here and now. Don't just focus on what you can gain in this life, what you can experience in this life, what you can, uh, what you can you know, de derive from, from, from walking the earth. Look forward to the things that God has promised you. He says in verse 3, For you died and your life is now hidden with God in Christ. I mean, with Christ in God, excuse me. And when Christ, who is your life, appears. Notice, again, the theme is Christ is coming back. He is coming back. So as you're living for him, live in mind of the fact that he is coming back. He says, so that when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So it is this idea that as we are living for him today, that we are focused on what is coming tomorrow or today, if it happens today. But we must eagerly await the mercy Christ promised return brings to all who trust him. Again, Jude's goal here in these verses that we read was that we are to be rooted in Christ, in the love that God has expressed to us and God expresses to us every day, and to find in that love a reliable defense against sin. I've learned this, friends. You know, the reality is, is that, you know, you know when, whenever, I, whenever I, I, a storm would come through, um, and, and of course, you know, that, that, that warning when thunder roars, go indoors, you know, there was always a temptation to want to go outside, to want to go stand in the rain, you know, be, be like, them, I'm singing in the rain. But then the, then the thought is, well, what if thunder strikes? What, what if lightning strikes me while I'm singing in the rain? I mean, I'm not meant to be outside when it's, when it's raining that bad. I need to find shelter. In the same way, you know, we, we are living in difficult, perilous times. And it, it can be easy for us to discount the seriousness of the times that we're in. Or even worse, for us to think, well, let me just live my own life and... You know, just not be bothered by what's happening around me. We need to be bothered by what's happening around us. And it's not a bother that causes us to worry or to live in fear, but it's a bother that causes us to say, God, I need to get on my knees. I need to be interceding for those around me who are not in Christ. God, I need to be interceding, God, for the lost. God, I'm, I, and I also need you to open my eyes to, to see what it is that you want me to do, the role you want me to play in the environment that I'm in so that I can make a difference. Because as Brother Reggie alluded to during the prayer earlier this morning, it is not God's will that any perish. 
I mean, we can easily say, well, my, my loved ones are saved, my friends are saved, the people I care about are saved, but what about the ones we don't know about? What about the, what about the neighbors that, that we don't interact with all the time or the people that we see from time? What about them? Are we moved, are we burdened because of the times that we're in to get on our knees and to say, God, have mercy. God, use me to be a catalyst for bringing, bringing salvation to someone so that just as I have found in Christ a refuge from all of the, 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 the schemes of the enemy, that I can help others also find refuge as well. Here's the thing. If I'm in a place of shelter and, and there's storms brewing all around me and I see someone that is in a vulnerable place, I'm not going to just sit there and say, well, that's their business. No, I will, I will call out to them and say, hey, dude, come over where I am at. Because there is safety in, 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 being, in being in shelter. In the same way, friends, you and I are called to call out to those who are in the highways and bibles and say, come to Christ. Because he is the only one that can defend and protect. But again, it's important for us to keep in mind that Christ is, for us, that reliable defense against sin. As that saying, when, it, when the thunder roars, go indoors, I want to change that to this. And I hope you remember this. Where deception rages... Christ is your defense. Where deception is raging, Christ is your defense. Where, where ungodliness is abounding, Christ is your defense. When the enemy is, 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 is exerting influence and it seems as if, it seems as if you are the only one, um, you know, and ever, everyone else is turning against God, remember Christ is your defense. You run to Him. You cling to Him. You cry out to Him. And He will defend you. He will protect you. He will keep you. That's the promise that God's word gives to you and I today. Amen? I want to invite you to buy his name this morning as we pray. God in heaven, I thank you for the words of the Apostle Jude. Important words for us to hear today because the times we're in are no different from the times that he lived in. Satan has always been about deception. Satan has always been about distraction. Satan has always been about destruction. But God, we thank you that you've not left us without defense. And God, we can look to Christ as that able defense, Lord, that shelter in, in stormy times. And know that God, in him, Father, we are secure. I'm reminded of the word that says that he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty, that we will say of the Lord, he is our refuge, our God in whom our trust is in God, thank you that everyone that puts their trust in you today, God, is in a secure, safe place because we are in Christ. There is no greater refuge than putting our trust in Jesus. There is no greater defense against the lies of the enemy than putting our trust in Jesus. And God, I thank you my brothers and sisters here who have put their trust in Christ. And, and because, they have, because they do so, God, they are safe and secure from all alarm. God, the enemy's attacks, the enemy's... Uh, onslaught against them. God, thank you that they are safe and secure. And God, I pray that, Lord, they would always abide in you, God, that they'll always be rooted in your love, Lord. That God would not allow, Father, uh, distorted teaching and deception to find its way, work its way into our hearts or our minds so that, God, we see you as less than you are or we respond to you uh, as uh, different from how we should. God, may, may, may Christ always be that, that place that we run to. And God, I pray if there's anyone that is here today who does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is no better place to put our lives in than in your hands, Lord. And to say, God, not just my life, but my eternity, God, I'm willing to trust it to you. 
Be confident that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for my sins. He died to redeem me. He died to break the power of sin over my life. He died to open my eyes so that I would not, no longer be deceived or led astray by, by ungodliness or by, by, by sin, but that, but that I can experience the life that he produces, abundant life, eternal life. And whoever that may be today, God, that if they will call on your name, your word promises that, Lord, you will, you will save. God, I thank you this morning, Lord, because in the times that we're in, it is easy for us, Lord, to look within, to be only focused on ourselves, Father. But, Lord, you've called us, Lord, to be focused as well on those around us, Lord. On any given day, Father, we will rub shoulders with, we will encounter, we will interact with people who do not know Christ. And, God, I pray that, Lord, you would help us, Lord, to, Father, have a burden, Father, for these. And to begin to ask, God, how can I be an instrument that you will use, Lord, to bring someone to the refuge that Christ represents. Give us a boldness and a conviction, God, to stand for truth, to speak truthfully, God, and to let Christ be seen in us, Lord. And God, may you be glorified in our lives, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.